Good morning, church. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Wow, you hardy Hoosiers. <laughs> Way to go. Well, we, uh, we were due for a little snow. And um, those of you who raised your hand when Pastor Jeff asked if you've been praying for snow, uh, we have a special class for you. As you know, we're taking the month of January this year to talk about our capital campaign, REACH, and we've been trying to cast some vision for what God's asking us to do in the future, where we're going together in the future in ministry, and today I want to talk about the importance of children's ministry. Now, before you go, well, why do we even have to talk about the importance of children's ministry? Because it's common sense that everyone wants to do good things for children. I mean, we all love children, and it's the responsibility of the church in particular to try to uh, effectively reach them in a meaningful way. So uh, why, why, is it, uh, why is it necessary to talk about it? And the reason is because of the strategic nature of children's ministry in 2016 in the United States. And today I want to try to inspire you so that you will have a better perspective, a better worldview on what in the world is going on and why reaching children is so important in today's world. So I've chosen today as our text from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. I'm going to read for us verses 13 to 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, if not, we'll project the words up on the screen. Our custom is to stand to honor God's Word, and so as you're able, would you please? And so beginning at chapter 13, or, I'm sorry, verse 13 of chapter 10, Mark's Gospel. People were bringing little children to Jesus for Him to place His hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And may God inspire us to this very poignant story. You may be seated. After the church service, a little boy told the pastor, uh, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. Well, thank you, the pastor replied, but why? The little guy said, because my dad says you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. Yeah. Another little one put his shoes on by himself. His mother noticed that the left shoe was on the right foot. She said, son, your shoes are on the wrong feet. He gave her a puzzled look, then with raised eyebrows said, don't kid me, Mom, these are the only feet I have. <laughs> yep. On the first day of school, about mid-morning, the kindergarten teacher said, if anyone has to go to the bathroom, hold up two fingers. Well, a little voice from the back of the room said, well, how's that going to help? <laughs> Apparently, it's too cold for you to be able to comprehend that one quite yet. It's kindergarten level. An acquaintance of mine who's a physician told this story about her then four-year-old daughter. On the way to preschool, the doctor had left her stethoscope on the car seat. Her little girl picked it up and began to play with it. Be still my heart, I thought my friend. My daughter wants to follow in my footsteps. Then the child spoke into the instrument and said, Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? <laughs> a wife invited some people to dinner. and At the table, she turned to the, her six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say the blessing? She said, well, I wouldn't know what to say. The mother said, well, just say what you hear mommy say. 
daughter bowed her head and said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people over for dinner? <laughs> yeah. Could have been worse. This was, my, this was my favorite of this entire list. See if you find it humorous. A student, <laughs> I think it's really funny. A student, a student was asked to list the Ten Commandments in any order. His answer, three, six, one, eight, four, five, nine, two, ten, and seven. <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. I don't care who you are. That's really funny. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For such to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So we see Jesus preferring children, placing his hands on them, blessing them, and nurturing them. It's a great image, isn't it? It's a great picture. And it's a great, great world, your great philosophy. If you have your outline handy, I want you to take notes this morning, if you will. The first point I want to make is, is this. It's the 414 window, 4 slash 14 window. Now, here's what I mean by that. Dr. Bryant Myers, director of World Vision's ministry to children, wrote a paper recently entitled The State of the World's Children, A Cultural Challenge to Christian Mission. And Bryant painted a sobering picture of the numbers and condition of children and youth throughout the world today, noted some of the implications that this huge and often suffering people group, children, present to mission strategies today. But the most significant portion of his presentation was this stunning graphic. I want to put it on the screen so you can see it. Which shows that in the United States of America, nearly 85% of people who make a decision for Christ do so between the ages of 4 and 14. That's pretty startling, isn't it? It's pretty dramatic. And you can see that the other age groups of... (laughs) In life, the odds of a person making a decision for Christ go down dramatically. But between 4 and 14 years old, 85%. Recently, important confirmation of this uh, truth has come from well-known church researcher George Barna, who wrote a book a few years ago. I love the title of this book. Listen to this title. Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. Don't you love that? Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. That should be like a mission statement for uh, local church ministry. Barna presents results of extensive research related to faith decisions in the United States, people who make a meaningful decision for Jesus Christ. He reports that most 13-year-olds in the United States, in fact, 93% of all 13-year-olds in the United States consider themselves to be Christian. However, only about 34% of these kids really have an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. So there's still cultural support, social support for a Christian faith in the lives of these young people, but there's not a great understanding. So there's a disconnect between what culture allows for at that age and the actual understanding at that age. So what Barna concludes is if people are going to become a Christian, they are far more likely to make that decision by the age of 13 than at any other age. He says, in other words, if people do not embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior before they reach their teenage years, the chance of their doing so is very, very slim. Now, does that strike anyone? I mean, this is is important information. 
He urges us then to consider the facts. People are much more likely to accept Christ as their Savior when they're young. Absorption of biblical information, uh, principles of truth, peaks, actually peaks in America in preteen years. So an open-mindedness, faith development comes when people are young and changes surprisingly little over time. The implication of these findings is clear. Barnes says anyone who wishes to have significant influence on the development of a person's moral and spiritual foundations had better exert that influence while the person is still open-minded and impressionable, in other words, when those persons are young. Now, let me tell you about our campaign here at Union Chapel, our capital campaign called REACH. REACH is an attempt to target specific kinds of people for evangelism. Here's what we know. No church, no ministry has unlimited resources. Can't, so you can't just focus everything you got on every, every one. You have to realize that resources are limited. There's, there, there aren't unlimited staff and money and volunteers and facilities. So you have to target, you have to focus a, a predominant amount of resources on the most receptive groups of people. And so in order to reach people, the largest number of people who are unchurched, away from a relationship with Jesus, it's important to focus those resources where there's the highest probability of success. It makes perfect sense, right? I mean, if you're in business, you have a product you're selling, you want to market it to the demographic that's most receptive to purchasing your product. And, and so it's no different in the church. We want to be wise, and we want to, we want to, we want to understand the facts, and who is most receptive in our culture and spend most of our resources targeting them. So here at Union Chapel, our focus is going to continue to be young families, young adults, children, and youth. Now, this isn't, this isn't a change. This has been true for many years in the life of our church. About 15 years ago, we re realized this graph that I just showed you was a much different uh, a different reality. Fifteen years ago, uh, the, the sweet spot for reaching people was about 13 to 18. And so that's where we targeted our resources and became primarily focused there. That's why we built this building we're in this morning. This, is, this is, was built as primarily a youth building, and it's still primarily a youth facility, although we use it for other things from time to time. And so it's mattered, and it's been meaningful to thousands and thousands of teenagers. What you may not know is that over the last 12, 13 years, we have seen 120,000 junior and senior high kids come through this building. We have baptized 1,200 teenagers in the life of our church. And that's all because we did something. We recognized the sweet spot, the most receptive people to the message of the gospel, and we focused our attention on that. Primarily. Now, that's not to exclude anyone else. Let me quote from Rick Warren. Many of you know he's the senior pastor of Saddleback Valley Community Church, Orange County, California. And he writes, The practice of targeting specific kinds of people for evangelism is biblical. It's all over the New Testament. Jesus targeted his ministry. He writes that Jesus publicly identified his ministry target as the Jews. And so the question is, was Jesus being unfair or prejudiced? By targeting the Jews? And the answer is, well, of course not. Jesus targeted his ministry in order to be effective, not to be exclusive. 
And so that's what I want you to hear when we talk about these things specifically uh, with regard to children. Not that it's tr we're trying to exclude any demographic, but rather we're trying to include and be eff effective with a specific demographic. And when we see that, then it makes perfect sense, I think. Now, look at, look at me. I'm not, I'm not a young family. I'm not a young adult. I'm not a child. I'm not a youth. So where does that leave me? Well, it leaves me right in the center of the church. <laughs> it leaves me right here in relationship with, with uh, wonderful people and in leadership and making a difference in people's lives. All I'm suggesting is that we focus and we target a specific group. And now we understand it to be the 414 window. Very important. Now, let me, uh, let me just quote George Barnum one more time. I want to put this statement on the screen so that it'll just bring it home for you as well. And this is what he said. The research is clear. If Jesus is not already part of their lives by the time they leave junior high school, the chances of them accepting him as their Lord and Savior is very slim, 6% to be exact. With children, it's just the opposite. Because of the challenge and insecurities they face in life, they're very open to being a part of a community of like-minded people who grow together. Children have a tremendous influence within their families and on the choices they make in all areas of life. Last statement, watch it. The greatest evangelical window currently available is among young people. There it is. R.S. Lee is the author of a book called Your Growing Children and Religion. He says it this way, the first seven years of life constitute the period for laying the foundations of religion. This is the most important period in the whole of a person's life in determining his later religious attitudes. Let's summarize it all by sharing a verse of scripture. Maybe this will be the most meaningful. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 6. Many of you know this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There it is. That's it. That's the point. That's our philosophy. Now, furthermore, furthermore, it's commonly known that people tend to be receptive to the gospel when their lives are disrupted. You've heard me say this. You pray better when you're desperate. That's true for everyone. When their lives are disrupted, they tend to lean toward God. If you have some crisis in your life this coming week, uh, here's what I can guarantee will happen. Your prayer life will get better. Because <laughs> you, you just you, you, you reach for God when things are disrupted. And there is no group today whose lives are more disrupted than children and youth. Consider the disproportionate amount of suffering that children experience in our world. Did you know that 30,000 children die every day in the world due to malnutrition and preventable diseases? 30,000. Let's bring that closer to home. According to the Indiana Youth Institute's Kids Count Data Center, 26% of children under 18 in Delaware County live in poverty. So one out of every four kids in Delaware County live in poverty. It's, it's sobering. Our summer food program officials who help with, with our meals during Serve Week state that 75% of all the kids in Muncie City Schools qualify for either free or reduced lunch. 75% of city schools. Uh, the Indiana Youth Institute's data also shows that 52% of children in Delaware County, so more than half of all the children in our county, are on free or reduced lunch. We have a cl very close association relationship with Longfellow Elementary School, just two miles from our campus here. And 100% of all of the elementary students at Longfellow are 
on free breakfast and free lunch. All of them. It's pretty sobering that right here in Muncie, Indiana. So there's suffering, disproportionate suffering. And then there's this notion of being unwanted. We know that very many of the children of our world are still unwanted. One evidence of this is the appalling high rates of abortion. Uh, this, uh, this is sanctity of human life, season. And we, we pause just to acknowledge that all life is precious and sacred and God-given. And we place that at a, at a very, very high value. And yet, one of the appalling One of the appalling realities of our world in which we lived is that in the 20th century, now the 21st century, is that the womb, which should be the child's safest haven in the world, has become one of the most unsafe places in the world for a child. According to the Guttmacher Institute, since 1973 in the United States of America, roughly 50 million legal-induced abortions have been performed. 50 million. It's just hard to get your mind around that. Staggering. We also know around the world that children suffer. They're unwanted. Between 100 and 200 million children call the street their homes around the world. And if you, like me, have traveled to some of the undeveloped parts of the world in major cities of those undeveloped regions, there are literally hundreds of thousands, millions of children who live on these streets. And if you've been around them and you've seen them and you've seen them picking through a garbage heap or begging for food, it will uh, never leave you. Unwanted children. And then children are being victimized in our world. As I mentioned, more and more children are being abandoned. More children are being abused and mistreated. In our troubled world in the last decade, far more children have been killed and disabled in wars than have soldiers. In the last 10 years, over that period, approximately 2 million children have died in wars. 4 and 5 million have been physically disabled. 5 million have been forced into refugee camps. More than 12 million have been left homeless just in the last decade. So attention to the 414 window is imperative for any church which is serious about reaching a truly receptive people. The 414 window. Now some of you are great warriors of prayer, your intercessors, you like to pray, and, you, and, you, and, and this is a vital part of your ministry. I want to share a verse with you which may be important for you to continue to pray as the weeks and months unfold. And it's in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 19. And I want to show it to you on the screen. This is a prayer from the prophet who's lamenting, he's grieving, he's saddened by the condition of a people group within his, uh, within his oversight. And he prayed, Arise and cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him. For what? For the lives of your children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. So there's a beautiful prayer, prayer of lament, a prayer of, of pain that we might pour out our hearts before God like water and lift our hands before him. And call upon him to touch our children. So that's the 414 window. Now here's the second thought. It's on your outline. It's this. Children's ministry and church growth. We are discovering around the country that an emphasis on children is often the fastest way to plant a new church and to also grow an established church. Now think about it. If you provide programs 
and facilities that provide cleanliness, provide purposeful play, provide social interaction, facilities that provide a place to build community with children, uh, coupled with consistent biblical instruction and meaningful retention of that truth, then what we are observing around the country, we observe it here at Union Chapel, that children will love it so much that they won't want to leave. They'll beg their parents to come back to church. And that's exactly what we want to do. Part of the REACH campaign is going to be expended to reimagine and to redesign our children's areas. You've seen perhaps the lobby in the children's wing. That new motif is going to carry through the entire children's wing. We're very excited about that. We want to redo the walls and the floors with more functional surfaces. We want to include commercial-grade toys and features. In the preschool areas, we want to brighten the colors, upgrade the technology. We've, we've got to keep moving the technology up so that it's as current as we can make it. This is so, so important to children. It is so much connectivity. It's just like Pastor Jeff said, if you can't figure out how to sign up for financial peace, ask your third grader. They'll get you signed up in 38 seconds. And it's very important. And by the way, if you don't take financial peace and you haven't figured out how to manage your finances from a biblical perspective, your third grader will come home in a couple of months and, and they'll explain it to you because we're going to teach them. It's so important. In the elementary and large group areas, we want to upgrade the tech and the lighting and, and design compelling multi-purpose spaces. We want to give it the wow factor. We want When children walk into our children's area, we want them to go, wow. We want them to see something that's very appealing to them, that's, that they're drawn to, that, that they're interested in. We want them to, uh, to subliminally receive the message that, hey, someone must have been thinking about me to make a place like this, whether they can articulate that or not, that they feel loved, they feel accepted, they feel included, they feel cared for. That's, that's what we want to do. And so that's the goal. And so we just want to kick it up uh, a few notches in our children's area. Now, right now, I want, you to, I want you to picture your own child or your grandchild. I want you to see their faces. Maybe it's an infant or a toddler or a preschooler or a grade schooler. Do you have them visualized now? Do you see their face? Now, let me ask you this question. Do, do they deserve the kind of space that I'm describing? Do they? Would you want for them the kind of space and ministry I'm describing? And the answer is yes. Yes, you would. And so do we have an obligation to faithfully pass the faith on to them? And the answer, of course, is yes. One of our core values here at Union Chapel is we want to be culturally relevant while remaining doctrinally pure. And 15 years ago or so, when we were raising a couple of million dollars to build this building, there was pushback at the time. And people said, are you sure we want to spend $2 million on a bunch of kids who, you know, they can't pay their way. They can't, you know, they can't afford to build, you know, so are you sure that's what we want to do? And that's what we did. And the reason we did it is to honor that value, to be culturally relevant while remaining doctrinally pure. And because we built a space that was relevant to kids and attractional to kids, then we had a platform from which we could offer them Christ. And these statistics I shared with you earlier are the result, 1,200 baptisms. And kids are continuing to receive Jesus in the, in the context of our 180 youth program. 
And children are coming to Jesus, and it's wonderful, and we want to see more and more of that. Children's ministry will help the church to grow, and that's why we want to be in business. Some people push back on the whole notion of church growth, and they, they, they get ex- exceptional about that, and they, they wonder about that. Well, let me just tell you what your pastor's philosophy on church growth is. As long as there is one man or one woman or one child within the sphere of influence of our church who are yet to know Jesus Christ, then the church hasn't grown large enough. As long as there's one person out there in need of this hope that we have found, then we want to include them. That's just the way it is with me. Now, here's the last thought, last point. The 14 window and leadership development. I want you to write the word leadership. Today's children are tomorrow's leaders. Now, when you hear that, you go, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And you think, well, that's, just, that's axiomatic. That's common sense. Yeah, today's kids are tomorrow's leaders. Of course. The leaders are in there somewhere. But in the context of thinking about this from a kingdom perspective and with a strategic value in mind, we should constantly be asking ourselves, what are our strategies for growing the leadership that will be needed to lead the churches in America in 2025 and 2050, when most of us are long gone? We know that child development is a long-term process, just as we parents know it takes at least 18 years to, quote, develop our own children, we realize that child development is a long-time proposition. So here's the question. I want to put this on the screen because I want us to absorb this if we can. Are we giving our children enough Christian training to equip them to be serious Christian leaders? That is such an important question. Not merely to have the faith, not merely to keep the faith, but to lead the next generation in mission-focused faith. Are we giving our kids what they need to be the leaders of the next generation? This past week in our staff meeting, our program staff were together. We were talking about goals for 2016, rehearsing some of the accomplishments from the past, and it was very encouraging. And Someone reminded us that our REACH campaign has embedded within it certain goals. We want to, we want to eliminate our debt so that we can be more mission-focused We want to reimagine, redevelop, redesign our children's area and upgrade some of the youth facility. And we we want to do new church development, plant new churches. One of our stated goals is we want to plant 10 new churches in the next 10 years. And someone then quipped uh, in the meeting, you know, there's a 10-year-old sitting in our junior church on Sunday morning who 10 years from now will be a candidate to join one of our church planting teams. And it was a very insightful comment. Cassie Lachine, who's our children's director, I mean, she reacted and she said, ooh, that gives me goosebumps. And it should give us goosebumps. It should move us. It should inspire us. It should impassion us to realize that these kids, kids that are in your home right now, kids that we are raising, kids that we are nurturing in the faith, kids that, kids that are in the window right now, are going to be the future leaders of the church. And are we giving them the right stuff that they'll need in order to be effective leaders? This is so important. Such an important question. Beth and I are very proud that our youngest son, Isaac, has recently been hired by his local church in Indianapolis in their children's department, by the way, and is now in full-time vocational ministry. That's pretty good, huh? So as it turns out, we were raising the next generation leader. 
And it's, and it's important. We should be asking ourselves as parents, who are these little guys and gals? They're teachers, yeah. They're, they're moms and dads, and they're workers and laborers, and they're, and they're coaches, and, and they're business owners. But are we also asking the question, I wonder if I'm raising a little apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. I wonder if I've got a little missionary on my hands here. And how do I build into his life, her life, the stuff she's going to need to be effective in the call that God has placed on their lives? Years ago, uh, we were sitting at the dinner table and our oldest son, Aaron, who was maybe nine or ten, maybe, at the time, as I recall, and we're just eating and having a conversation. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, can you name all 66 books of the Bible? I paused <laughs> and said, oh, I think I think I can. Pretty sure I can. He said, go ahead. <laughs> so I'm on the spot. So I'm working my way. So, you know, stumbled through the minor prophets once or twice. And then I got through and made it. And, so, and 60, got them. There. I did it. I said, question, why did you, why did you wonder if I, if I knew that? I said, I assume, since you asked me the question, that you know the answer too. And he goes, sure, I know the answer. I said, well, if you know the answer, why don't you uh, call him off? And so like a machine gun, he goes through 66 books of the Bible. And I realized something. I realized that I hadn't taught him that. And then quickly I realized He's got that some, from somewhere else. And then I realized where he got it. Got it right here. Got it right here. And same way with Isaac. Who gets to a place in his own life and his own sense of call and his own sense of purpose in the world. Who has been raised not just by parents who love God and help him understand his strengths and his gifts and his, and his, uh, his primaries but also was raised in a church that from the time he can remember, he was told about Jesus and taught the stories of the Bible and taught to believe and trust that God is a God who hears prayer and answers prayer and that God will actually place his hand on your life and give you a sense of purpose and ultimately a destiny. And so here, here are little guys that came through my family. You understand how gratifying this is for me? You know, there's a preacher kid syndrome. Maybe you've heard about it. And unfortunately, oftentimes, people, the, the children of preachers and missionaries and that sort of thing kind of go the other way because, you know, we've had enough of that. But that Union Chapel provided a kind of, an environment, a culture that enabled them not only to love God, but to entertain the impulse to serve God the rest of their lives. How cool is that? I mean, that's it, isn't it? That's it, isn't it? That's got to be it. And so I know, see, I'm looking at the faces of parents and grandparents in the room this morning, even though we're reduced in number today because of the weather. I'm looking in the faces of so many people this weekend who feel that same gratification I feel, that you know you did the right thing because at, at a certain point in your life you realize giving my children what they need from a spiritual perspective is the most important thing I will ever do. And connecting with a local church that will foster that development is a wise thing. And now when I look back on it, a very gratifying thing. And that's what we want. We just want to up it. We want to, we want to grow it. We want to expand it. We want it to, make it to be as good as we can do it. Let me share, share one more verse with you. Acts 2.37. This is the last verse. We'll be done. This is like a winter storm sermon. Short. 
This is on the day of Pentecost when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came to 120 in the upper room. There were all kinds of phenomenon, pyrotechnics. They spill out of the upper room onto the streets, and within minutes, thousands of people have gathered around this phenomenon, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter takes his role in leadership, and he preaches a sermon and tells everybody assembled there who this Jesus was, who's just now 50 days or so deceased and then raised from the dead. So Jesus is fresh in everyone's mind, and Peter preaches about Jesus. And when he finishes his message, this is what happened. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And that is a great question, isn't it? In the face of what we now know, we know the 414 window is there. And, and too bad you got up and came through the weather today to find out about the 414. Now you know about it. Now you're responsible for it. If you were ignorant about it, then you'd have an excuse. But there's now no excuse for any of us. We know that the most receptive people in our culture today are people between the ages of 4 and 14. You have to go to bed with that tonight and wake up with it in the morning. And that's the message that we've heard. And that these kids, these kids are the, the demographic that we should be targeting. We should do everything we can to minister to them. And because we know they're suffering and, un, and unnecessarily and, and, and inappropriately victimized in our world, in spite of all of that, we know that God wants to put his hands on them and to bless them and to nurture them and equip them as leaders for the future. And we know that. So we've heard the message. We've gotten the point. And now the question comes up to us if we're sincere and honest about our faith. And that is, what should we do? Brothers and sisters, therefore, what should we do? What should we do? Well, listen, we know what to do. We not only know what to do, we know why, to do, why we should do it. And we not only know what we should do and why we should do it, but we actually know how to do it. We, we, actually, we actually know. And so not only do we feel the responsibility of it, but now we have the commission to do what we know to do. What should we do? We should together do everything we can to target this generation of young people, make a difference in their lives. Can I get an amen? Now here's, uh, here's what I want to say. You guys are great. I mean, you're just great. Let me uh, give you an example of that. We... Uh, we received our Christmas offering at the end of the last year. And as you know, we made as our goal the Christmas store at Blood and Fire. And then whatever was left, we're going to de dedicate to the first church plant we're doing this year in Florida. And, and your response was phenomenal. The Christmas offering to date is over $55,000, which is many thousands of dollars more than any Christmas offering we've ever received in the life of our church. And it just says to us how good God is and how generous you are. And, and, and we feel the momentum of that. We celebrate God's goodness and we celebrate your generosity. And, and again, you're just great. And so this has been our pattern over the years now. When God calls us to do something, he always equips us and provides for us to do it. We've done it with everything that we've ever initiated. And we're going to do it again with this. So I know you're going to be prayerful about your pledge to the REACH campaign, which we'll receive at the last weekend of this month. And as we pledge for the next couple of years, we're believing that God's going to do amazing things so that many lives will be changed. Amen? 
All right, let's pray about that just for a moment. Lord, we pray today specifically that you would place before us in our minds and hearts the largest, neediest, actually most exploited and most receptive group of people in the world, our children. And Lord, please enable us to design and build a more prominent place in our church for ministries, for purposeful play, Christian community that will eternally influence our children. We ask ourselves, Lord, what higher calling could we aspire to? What could we do that's more important or that could possibly bear more fruit over the long run? And really, Lord, what alternatives do we have to secure our own future and the witness of your kingdom? And so now today we join the lament. Surely the things that break your heart would break our hearts today. We join the lament. We pour out our hearts like water. And we lift up our hands to you for the lives of our children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. So we pray, oh God, that you would raise up our children, raise up our grandchildren, raise up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, missionaries, raise up church planters who will carry the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Raise up the next generation of leaders. Raise them right up from our homes, from our church. Raise up men and women of excellent faith, of noble character, filled with integrity and humility and generosity. We join with the heart of Jesus today by saying, let the little children come. We will not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.